Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, editor-at-large at The Block. And joining us today on the other side of the mic are our two guests. We have two folks joining us to unpack and unravel the crazy situation in the market stemming from the dramatic meltdown of FTX and the dramatic meltdown of Sam Bankman-Fried. We have Jim Greco, who is co-founder of F9 Research, and Douglas Colt-Kitt, founder at Crocodile Labs. We've all been on Twitter far too much, um, but I wanted to talk to you guys just because I feel like you come from this as uh, you know, folks from the trading market structure world, and you have that backdrop and that expertise. And I think that, you know, a lot of people are asking like what happened and we're all trying to, we're all trying to sort it out. Like a lot of facts and history has come to light in, in, you know, the past 72 hours even, but I'd be curious to know, could this be possible in any other type of market? Like, what really allowed someone to do this? And, and before we get into that, we can talk about exactly what happened and maybe we can all sort of come to like a definitive explanation, but then really unpack like how that happens. But before we do that, of course, I want to take a minute to thank our sponsors. Get ready for season three of the Tron Grand Hackathon 2022 with a total of $1.2 million in prizes across Web3, DeFi, GameFi, NFTs, and the newly added Academy and Ecosystem tracks. The wait is over. Tron Grand Hackathon presented by TronDAO. To learn more, visit trondao.org. This episode is also brought to you by Ledin. From Bitcoin and USDC savings accounts to Bitcoin-backed loans, Ledin's financial services enable you to benefit from your holdings today without selling your Bitcoin. Learn more about Ledin at ledin.io. Ledin, where your digital assets come to life. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and not necessarily those of the blocks. Podcast guests may have taken positions in the assets or other matters discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. For full terms, visit theblock.co slash terms dash service. Yeah, once again, so I'd like to welcome our guests, Jim Greco over at F9 Research and Douglas Colkett of Crocodile Labs. Guys, again, thank you so much for coming on. It, it's really one of those one of those shows where it's impossible to even begin where to start. But we can maybe go to what exactly happened according to Reuters reporting, Wall Street Journal's reporting, and then my own sort of digging, which is that it was clear that this man, through some form of a backdoor, through some means, was able to leverage the assets on the exchange um, via Alameda Research. And I mean, there's so many questions, right? Like, first off, how is the hole so big? $8 billion. Like, how are you that bad at trading? The question is, how can a backdoor like that even exist? The third question is, what does this mean just for the market? But I, I don't know, guys, where do you think we should even start here? Maybe I'll kick it to, to Jim. Yeah, I, I think we're all really in shock today, right? We're in shock from this past week. 
FTX has been sort of the gold standard in our industry. They have Sequoia, which is the gold standard of VC funds that did an early investment in them. BlackRock is an investor in them. You name it, uh, among the sort of the crypto hedge funds have been big investors in those guys. If you are a trader, so if you're like an individual retail trader, there's a very high probability you are on FTX because it was like one of the platforms that you know, allowed you to do a ton of leverage. It allowed you to go short very easily. It was a very, very good platform for traders. And it was one of the, you know, one of the platforms that almost every single prop shop and every single, you know, fund has sort of been involved in. And so I think like what happened is, and it made Doug, I think has some great theories. I'm really uh, anxious to hear from him on this, but like one way or another, some eight to 10 to maybe more billion in dollars and Tether and Bitcoin and ETH, all these liquid coins was transferred over to Alameda. That stuff was lost in trades. It was used as, you know, it was used to buy longer term investments, you know, for example, to to buy Voyager, to buy BlockFi, et cetera. Bahamian real estate. Um, $75 million of Bahamian real estate. Um, and the thing is, like, in a, in a bull market, this all works, right? You know, it's like everything is going up. And so they have huge illiquid assets of Solana, huge illiquid assets of FTT. And they can just point to this, to their counterparties, to their lenders, whoever. Hey, look at this. Like, our, you know, our, we're worth a ton. Of course, give me 25% to borrow or whatever. But it all comes crashing down in a bear market, right? Because like your asset side of the balance sheet drops, your liabilities typically stay fixed. Um, customers start withdrawing deposits slash like the you know customers uh, start going to cash, and so eventually this just becomes it becomes too hard of a scheme to keep up, right? You try to borrow from one counterparty to pay off another counterparty, but eventually nobody's lending you money any again, and uh, that that you know that's what we're facing right now. I think. The question that, Doug, you've really unpacked on Twitter, one that I think everyone has, is how do you get a million-dollar hole? Like, first off, who are they losing the money to? And who are the winners in this scenario? There's a lot of losers. That's very clear. The creditors across firms like BlockFi and FTX very unfortunate, incredibly almost, I mean, not almost, it is, it is sad and tragic, but you kind of delineated this. There was like almost a, a machine that had to keep going. Like Alameda's providing of liquidity to FTX really chipped away at any sort of profit opportunity, but there were also these maybe I, and I don't want to, um, I don't want to sort of like water down your analysis, but it seems like there are these smaller, maybe hedge funds or market making firms that were picking off Alameda. I'll say, like preface, nobody nobody knows where the money went. So this is this is all speculation, uh, you know, based on circumstantial evidence. So of course, take take everything with uh, a grain of salt. But like w- what we do know, right, is Alameda existed as a trading firm before. FTX and Alameda was around for a few years before then. And then even then they were fairly 
fairly big in the space. And then at one point they launched FTX. We all, we also know, right, from things uh, Caroline has said, uh, this, the CEO of Alameda um, at various points, right? Like the original idea with FTX was that Alameda was going to bootstrap uh, kind of the liquidity on the exchange. So, right, like the toughest part about starting any exchange is actually getting people to trade there, right? So it's kind of a cold start problem. Uh, you can't have an exchange just where there's nobody to trade against. So I, I, you know, it seems like talking from a lot of people in the industry that Alameda was not profitable or, or stopping. So I think they were profitable very early on when crypto was not very competitive. Um, obviously, crypto keeps getting more competitive over time, especially as kind of more professional uh, traders come in, especially more of the TradFi uh, trading firms come in, have, have been at this game for a much longer time. And I think, you know, in 2019 or so, Alameda just, I don't know if they weren't profitable at all, but I think they were probably circling the drain. So I, my my theory, and, and I think this is, is fairly, you know, fairly established is FTX is the exit, um, the exit plan for Alameda, right? Like if I, I'm going to trade, maybe I don't make that much money trading, but we know crypto exchanges are, are very, very valuable. Um, or at least like right around that time were valuable before kind of all this crash. So it does make sense, right? Like, and there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm going to have some liquidity and maybe lose, lose some money. And, uh, but I'll have this very valuable exchange. And then like Jim said, right now I have FTX equity and that's worth, you know, 30 billion. Or maybe I kind of play the same game on Solana where I'm providing liquidity to these DeFi protocols and then my tokens become very valuable. And again, there's nothing, something intrinsically un, unethical about that. But what I think happened is that FTX itself became right, like, and this is kind of the, the problem with that business model where you're both the exchange and the market maker, or the primary trading firm, is there are these kinds of conflicts of interest, right? Like kind of these ethical questions. And I, and I think, right, like FTX uh, was dependent on Alameda, at least very early on for liquidity. The the other thing is liquidations. I think, right, that was a big draw of FTX as well. Our liquidations are very efficient. Um, you don't get, you know, liquidations on other crypto exchanges been very bad. And I think FTX or Alameda was kind of providing, uh, taking the other side of liquidations, which which is usually fine, but particularly, uh, I don't know, right, like Terra or that, that kind of blow up, you might take a lot of one-way risk. That's, that's the wrong way. Um, so yeah, I, I think right FTX itself to keep running was dependent on Alameda's trading operations, and I think Alameda was not even profitable in 2019, and definitely by 2021 when you had the biggest tradfi HFT firms in the space, uh, they were really unprofitable. And I just right, it's like you're the JV team playing in the NBA at that point, but they can't exit because kind of FTX's activity is is kind of so. So dependent on them. So I don't know how much that accounts for the whole, but I, I think at Alameda itself, the trading, the continuing trading operations. Yeah, both. it was almost like an addiction to liquidity in exactly. terms of if you sort of turned off the machine, then both uh, go under in a sense, or both are sort of less valuable as enterprises. So Right, and we know how VC metrics work, right? Like people want to see consistent growth over time. They don't want to see growth and then, oh, we turned off our machines to fix them. Uh, and then the trading trading stopped. And that's that's what would happen if you're an independent trader. Hey, our system's broke. Just turn it off. Let's figure it out. It might take some time, but there's not kind of that pressure. To unpack the point you're making, and and this is one of the most important questions when you're dissecting whether something is fraud 
or just woeful mismanagement. Your point here is there is nothing wrong with this idea of let's, we have this pretty good, let's say quant trading firm that is smart at making markets, does it well. We can use this to then bootstrap a broader enterprise that'll probably be worth more or be more valuable or contribute more to a space. And that's, that doesn't cross the Rubicon to use your, your words. Um, what, what's clear is they ended up using funds. There was a, there was a commingling of funds, but also adding to the issue here or the sort of downfall was the fact that not only was FTX and Alameda super intertwined, but Alameda was then whenever they needed to pay back FTX were probably going and borrowing from Genesis and other firms with collateral in the token that underpinned both of these projects or, or enterprises. And that's where you go from, okay, maybe this is not the most smart way to operate two firms, but then now you're adding like insane amounts of irresponsible leverage in a token that is basically just sandbox. And that's where you get the house of cards completely unraveling. Um, in, in terms of just this, this, the conflict of interest question, you know, all of us have been in this space. Like I've asked the questions. I think all of us have thought of it as being a problem. And this is more of a philosophical question. Why did, why was he able to brush it off for so long? I, I think, you know, most professionals knew of the Alameda connection, but we all thought that this exchange is so valuable. It's worth $32 billion. Like, why would he do something that would sort of destroy the equity value in this exchange, right? Like, so we, I think a lot of us believe that Alameda was like a arm's length customer, or maybe they had some preferential treatment on like the lending side of things. But the idea that they were sort of commingling funds or outright stealing funds, let's be honest, um, that that was so unfathomable. It doesn't it doesn't make any sense. Like exchanges print money. Like FTX had a you know if you if you do the math on their their sort of FTT buyback, which is a third of all exchange revenues, it's something like they were making twenty five million dollars a week in this bear market. So like last year, they're making way more than that. Why would you mess that up? Um, it it makes it makes zero sense. You know, a theory of, of you know of Doug's is like I think there is a lot of credibility there that like they were trying to bootstrap the um, the exchange and sort of got in too deep, and they almost saw it like an equity investment. Now, of course, the equity was customer funds that they stole, but they saw it as like, hey, if we spend five billion dollars of customer funds, the exchange is now worth thirty-two billion dollars. And I think they had a similar play in Solana. Hey, maybe we spend four billion dollars propping up the Solana, getting you know, getting the flywheel going on the Solana ecosystem. And hey, you know, at one point Solana's worth was it a hundred billion dollars? You know, on that order. Uh, you know, Serum as well, and the other Solana tokens. Hundred percent, right? So it's like 
oh, what a great investment. We took, you know, we lost $4 billion on this, but like we gained on the asset side, you know, 25 billion or something on that order. So, you know, I, I think it, I don't think it'll be interesting to see sort of, you know, what the, the steps were that sort of led to the full blown fraud. How far back did it go? You know, was the launch of the FTT token back in 2018, 2019, was that just patching a hole in Alameda's balance sheet then? Or was it like this 3AC blow up where like one of my theories is they were using customer funds to buy UST and then like putting UST into um, Anchor and then earning 20% on that, right? So it's like a it's like 20% on zero cost of capital. And then that blew up because they couldn't withdraw it too much. And they had this huge hole in the balance sheet. And then instead of um, recognizing that loss, which would have probably destroyed all the equity value in, uh, in FTX, they decided to make it all back in one more trade. This is very, very common sort of in, in like how hedge funds blow up, right? As they take a massive loss, they don't want to report it to their investors. And so then they try to double down and triple down on very risky, low probability trades. And almost always, because the market is kind of going against you at the same time, it just ends up in disaster. It never works. So, Jimmy brought up this long standing question of Alameda's relationship to FTX and and the question of when this all started, this irresponsible relationship, we asked him back in 2019, um, we asked him about the conflicts of interest that could arise as a, as a result of Alameda's links with FTX and, of course, him being the CEO of both companies. And it's so wild how in August 7th of 2019, he said to us that there were imminent plans to make FTX as independent as possible by onboarding a handful of reputable market makers. And he said that there were walls between the two firms like a client facing arm. And he said that Alameda could pay off all of its $65 million in loans if it wanted to, and that the company was in good financial health. Quashing those claims that you just brought up, Jim, about FTX possibly being a plan or a solution to salvaging holes in Alameda. In hindsight, and we can only look in hindsight, obviously, it is just so spine chilling that, and I'll go as far to say that he lied. I mean, there was no imminent plans. He didn't be, he didn't step down from CEO of Alameda until, was it early this year or late last year? I think it was at the end of 2021, if I recall correctly. That's a three-year gap. That's not imminent. And to be honest, and of course, like none of us know 100%, but there's no way in hell that he was being 100% honest here. And um, I, I guess the the question is, I feel like we all, and I, I'm talking about like people who were in the industry at the time who kind of heard these, you know, rumors or these, these 
accusations. COVID happened and our it's almost like in Men in Black, like they flashed, we got flashed with the sort of memory evaporating thing. We came out of COVID, everything was go-go. Um, and and at some point Alameda was now a billion dollar company and people kind of forgot about this. And only now is it sort of or our memories being reawakened to these realities. It reminds me of uh I, I won't give any specifics, but there was a a bank back in uh, before the global financial crisis um, where there were two departments and legally as a Wall Street bank and legally there's supposed to be a Chinese wall between the two departments. But for various reasons, one person was the uh, the head of, of both both the, tr- the trading and the, the banking side. And they asked him, well, what is there supposed to be a Chinese wall? And he said, oh, don't worry, the Chinese wall goes through my head. I, I don't use anything. I know from one side to <laughs> to make decisions, decisions on the other. So I, I think, right, when there's a bull market, when everyone's getting rich, it's easy to red flags, like you said, Fred. Get ready for season three of the Tron Grand Hackathon 2022. There are a total of $1.2 million in prizes up for grabs in Web3, DeFi, GameFi, NFTs, and the newly added Academy and Ecosystem tracks. So what are you waiting for? Join Tron for an opportunity to showcase your work, win funding for your project, and network with other builders in the community. Tron Grand Hackathon, presented by TronDAO. To learn more, visit trondow.org. I also want to give a shout out to Ledin. Ledin, Bitcoin-backed loans and savings by Bitcoiners for Bitcoiners. As we've seen, not all digital asset lenders are created equal. Ledin prioritizes safeguarding clients' assets with its robust risk management approach. That is why Ledin doesn't actively trade or invest in DeFi yield generation strategies with its clients' assets and only supports Bitcoin and USDC two of the highest quality and most liquid assets in the industry. Ledin is also dedicated to transparency, which is why they are the first digital asset lending company to complete a proof of reserves attestation. Learn more about Ledin at ledin.io. Ledin, where your digital assets come to life. Jim, can you say what you said to me the other day? I think it was you. You said something to the effect of like, I want the receipts. I want to, I want to know at the risk of me being able to sue you that this exists and it's been audited, et cetera, et cetera. I think it was you popping off. It could have been someone else though. It could have, could have been, I've said a lot to you <laughs> in the last week or yeah. two. Um, but yeah, I mean, there, there's a reason that these Chinese walls exist. There's a reason that regulators focus so heavily on this because the history of the financial industry is people trying to play games with this, right? Like I have my customer money over here. I have my prop trading firm over here. We're in the same building. All I have to do is like move some money from one account to the other. And then the prop trading firm can make way more, way better return on its capital than the wealth management business or the customer deposit business. And so there's a reason that we have over time developed all these rules and regulations. And crypto, at least outside of the US, doesn't have that. And I think it just became way too tempting for Sam, as well as his other you know high-level executives. I think one of the mistakes we're making here is just saying this is all Sam 
um, it became way too tempting for them to take from one pot and move it to the other pot and basically have zero cost of, of funding to fund their uh, to fund their prop trades. Yeah, the, uh, the other thing I'll add in is I, I think a lot of people strongly suspected that uh, Alameda and FTX were colluding, but but not in the way of actually taking customer money. I think people thought that Alameda had basically privileged access into the FTX matching engine where they could either see order flow yeah. ahead of time and front run, or or maybe they just even had faster access. They could bypass risk checks. They could trade on things faster than everyone else. So I think people, that's one reason. Yeah, people that's, have, a, that's a good point because I think that folks were directionally correct. They almost kind of thought there was a irresponsible or unsavory relationship in the same way that back when, you know, flash boys came out, people thought, Oh, like you could co-locate with exchanges and exchanges are giving preferential treatment, which to some folks and some folks in market structure, like that is not good or it's unfair. And so you had like a debate over that, like, okay, maybe Alameda does have a little bit of special access, but it's not, that much different from certain um, levels of access that we see elsewhere. But it was beyond that. It wasn't just to your point, being able to like see the market more quickly. It was, <laughs> it was taking money from, you know, regular people. <laughs> I, you know, again, this is just speculation, but I wouldn't be surprised. It started with that and they were doing some things that were not above board that way. And, you know, especially if they were bypassing risk checks, if they were bypassing credit checks, so they could go faster, right? They might at one point have lost money or, you know, gotten into hot water that way or already like a lot of these types of scandals, right? The kind of you start small and then you you just have to keep building up, right? And they're bypassing risk checks. Uh, you know, maybe they lost some money. It's going to be very hard to report that. Maybe it's hard to bring other people in to audit it. So you have to start hiding stuff. And then it becomes easy to kind of for that to snowball into actually stealing customer uh customer funds there because you're already kind of going down down this path but i i think right nobody really expected ftx to run out of money because they thought alameda must be making so much money but it, it's really quite the opposite that um they just seem so incompetent that even even kind of with all these advantages they were losing money one way one way or another so i hope that folks listen to this and like take it as a way to sort of understand the situation in a very serious way. You know, we're not being overly emotive. We're kind of unpacking the situation. But with all of this said and kind of looking at it from a more business trading perspective, in the wake of this, you have Sam tweeting this thread. And it's it is maddening. And it is, I mean, I can't really even put words to this. And of course, there's a lot of the accusations about all sorts of different um, revelrous is not really the word. Probably debauchery might be a better, better word for what some of the accusations are around what happened down there in the Bahamas, or at least between this very core group of people. But when you look at this thread, I mean, it's, it's very hard to give him the benefit of the doubt as a as a entrepreneur, because we've all made mistakes, I think all three of us have made some form of a business mistake. But seeing this thread, the amount of sheer unconscionable arrogance adds another layer to this story. 
the thing is though it's 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 not just making business mistakes right it's it's very clear that the guy was engaged in a fraud and has been engaged in a fraud for a very long time i would say this is this is psychopathic behavior by him as well as his top executives at ftx and alameda and i think we should make zero excuses for these guys like this is a this is a line that you can never cross and like they crossed it and ended up there 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 were guys at my event on Thursday there were guys who personally had eight figures yeah. on FTX and that's all gone now yeah uh and and you know that's that's the least of it projects right? projects know, as well a lot of protocols and projects had their entire treasury there Team yeah. is dead. And even if they didn't have their entire treasury, a project like Solana is finished, right? Creditors now own a good chunk of the unlock Solana. And every single time that that stuff unlocks, they're just going to market sell it. The price will never be able to, to recover. Serum is the exact same way. The price will never be able to recover. And so there is a, just a tremendous amount of damage that this has caused, uh, you know, across the entire ecosystem. Yeah. And I think maybe zooming out um, and thinking about the situation, not just from a FTX vantage point, I think it's fair to say, and you guys can disagree with me, there's something underpinning this entire market. I think we all entered it because we believed in some element of, of what, good crypto could bring to the world. But if we think about specifically its capital markets, and I hope this isn't an overstatement, there is something deeply toxic, deeply wrong, deeply conflicted, deeply criminal about the way the, the centralized capital markets operate. And that's the doom and gloom side. So we maybe um, we can unpack that, but then also look at like, Okay, where could we then? Where what could, what can we take out of this with the right type of um, oversight that can then unleash the promise of what we see in crypto specifically? And I'm thinking about like the way I'm thinking about this is up and right up until the last moment, or right up until um, the sort of market meltdown melted down with with FTX. Um, there were a lot of on-chain uh, sleuths sort of seeing the movement of funds, seeing the pausing of on-chain withdrawals. And a lot of the activity, I mean, the Alameda wallets, like we could have looked at it. We could have we could have sort of maybe gotten a sense of the story earlier if we used the tools that we had at our disposal and if we didn't succumb to this degree of I don't know, and and I'm not not saying you guys, but but just in general, hero worship, where our market existed as such that if 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 you were this cult of personality, you could not be unquestioned at all for fear of reprisal, reputational reprisal, uh, fear of not being invited back to the Bahamas, etc. Um, so those are the, t the let, let's unpack that maybe to kind of uh, round out the conversation. Do you agree that there was something core that was wrong with, with our centralized crypto capital markets? And then maybe how does the promise of DeFi exist in a world in the wake of this 
mess. I'm going to do all my trading on Crocs. <laughs> <laughs> no prop arm attached. No prop. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Croc research. <laughs> Croc no, research. I... <laughs> yeah. So, so Doug, uh, Jim's only going to trade on, on, you know, your, your decks. Um, what, what do you think about this sort of dichotomy that I laid out there? Yeah. I mean, I think, right. Like, the tough part about crypto is a lot of even centralized exchanges or, or, or even DeFi, right, are overly centralized and it's easy to trust people in a bull market. And, and kind of the funny thing about this space is we don't we don't really use crypto technology itself. Right. So even a centralized exchange, if you're not on DeFi, it should be relatively easy to you know approve reserves. Here's here's how much we have. And, and especially with a lot of the new zero knowledge technology coming out. I'm very optimistic on that, right? It should be really easy to prove, uh, okay, we have all the exchanges without compromising privacy. But but in general, I think, um, you know, a lot of, we're all in crypto because we believe that, you know, some level of decentralization is very important. Um, and, you know, I, there'll probably be a spectrum of uh, centralized exchanges just right now. They can do a lot that decentralized exchanges or DeFi protocols can't. But I, I do hope people it causes people to reevaluate and say, hey, right, there is ideas of trustlessness or decentralization or uh, verifiability, transparency. They're not they're not just abstract things. Right. Or they're abstract until until they're not. And then they're they're very painful. So I do hope that this like the one good thing to come out of this is that it is a wake up call. And it doesn't matter how many sports stadiums uh, you sponsor or whether you hang out with Tom Brady, that uh, we're building crypto technology so you don't have to rely on that kind of stuff. I would I would also say that besides DeFi, where you know users are more in control, the other big wins out of this are going to be US regulated exchanges, right? So I think that Gensler and the CFTC commissioner, I think they they look like heroes here, right? They prevented most Americans from participating in the scam and participating in other scams. Um and I think like if, if though the exchanges that are kind of currently operating in the space, Coinbase, Gemini, Kraken, you know, I think people are still going to want to trade crypto. Retail is still going to want to trade crypto. That's a really good point. That's a really good point, Jim. Like Kraken, uh, Coinbase, uh, Gemini, 100% isolated. And there's a reason for that. And it, and it speaks to your point is that they're regulated most, I think all of them by NF, um, New York Department of Financial Services, uh, not Kraken, but, you know, I think, I think Jesse is, is like deeply, um, deeply connected to the ethos of crypto. So I'm, I'm not surprised that he didn't get caught up in this to the extent that others did, but yeah, I mean, they are regulated, um, here in the United States and they're fine. And I wouldn't be surprised that you see your Europe really kind of fall the lead, the UK fall the lead here. And, you know, whether it's sort of adopting the US regulations or helping us to form sort of new ones in the future, you're going to see a lot more regulatory scrutiny in this space. And particularly when it comes to sort of like retail consumers in the Western world, uh, I think like the, the burden is only going to get stronger. 
Yeah, I'd say also the other thing is just being in a jurisdiction with rule of law. And as we're finding out right now, maybe the Bahamas is not a good place to put a $20 billion financial institution. Uh, so it might, might make more sense for for things that large and complex to be in jurisdictions where actually are capable of, of regulating. 100%. I mean, this is one of the things that I said on Twitter, right? There's a reason that hedge funds and other financial institutions are not located in the Bahamas, right? They're located in the Cayman Islands and they're located in uh, Bermuda in the British Virgin Islands and a few other jurisdictions. All these places sort of have both the regulatory and the legal capacity and structure to support these type of financial institutions. The Bahamas, frankly, does not. And that's that's just why you don't see, like, that's why you don't see anybody there. Yeah, well, it's clear in hindsight that they did that for a reason. 100%. It's not because they were trying to create some Bahamian crypto utopia. They knew that that's where they could fly under the radar to the greatest extent. Unfortunate, but we will press forward. Gentlemen, any closing thoughts before we wind wind down the show? Just the episode, not the entire show. We'll have more episodes in the future, God willing. Doug, I have a question for you. Okay. You, you've taken VC investment, right? Yes, we have. Uh, as you've talked to sort of your investors and sort of people in the space this week, how are they feeling about further investment in crypto? I I think people on, right, I think people are very concerned on the macro side. And I think particularly people are concerned that this is going to scare away in, institutions. So I, I think Frank, Frank is right. Retail is going to come back and, and retail, retail will be here. But I think it's going to be very hard to get a crypto allocation through your pension fund or an endowment right now. Uh, that's just not something that conversation you want to be having with your investment committee. But that being said, uh, I, I don't think it's, I, I think people are very, very excited about a lot of the technology coming out right now. Um, there's a lot of cool stuff going on with ZK tech, a lot of cool stuff going on with uh, MEV type technology. And so from a builder's perspective, I, I think it's, it's a great time projects Projects are out there. They're doing really, really interesting things, way, way more interesting things than uh, was frankly going on at the height of the bull market. One of the problems with the bull market is you just get a lot of nonsense everywhere. So I, it's going to be painful for a while, but I, I think long term, but really on the lo long term development of crypto tech, I've kind of never been more optimistic. It's an interesting juxtaposition between 2017, where it was the scammers were these decentralized operations or ICOs. And now in this market, the folks who have disappointed us, I'll put it, um, were actually so-called regulated, so-called so -called the smartest guys in the room, as it were. Um, but there'll certainly be more revelations to come and we'll be in touch with both of you. And hopefully things settle a little bit and we can all get some much needed rest. Um, once again, we've been joined today by our guests, Jim Greco, co-founder of F9 Research, and Douglas Colkett, founder of Crocodile Labs. Gentlemen, thanks for being on the show. Thanks. Thanks, Frank. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Frank and, and Doug. Uh, it was great to actually chat with you live here instead of just on Twitter. Yeah, nice to meet IRL. Cheers. The Scoop will be back for you again with another great guest. Have an awesome day.
day.